Hello, John. Hello, Brandon. How's it going, buddy? Good, man. I just got done sealing two black concrete tables, anthracite concrete tables, and they look amazing. What do you mean by anthracite? What am I missing? Well, anthracite black, but it's a cooler way to say black. Okay. Like, I, I would say um, alabaster instead of white, you know. Okay. Yeah, it just sounds better. You know, if you say to a client, hey, I'm making some custom anthracite tables. They're like, oh, yeah. You know, it just sounds cooler. So I sealed these these tables with uh, the prime that you brought to the last class and yeah. the CT. And it's my first time using a roller method. I've never tried the roller method. You, you left some of the roller covers here. And I went that route. I talked to you before I did it. Anyways, they look so good. It's incredible. So anybody that's using ICT and you maybe had some streaking in the past or anything like that, try the new method. And, you know, it's my first time doing it because when you came to the class, we did the video where you used the roller and I'd never done it before. And this is my first time since the class sealing client projects using that method. And they just look insane. So I'm going to post, I, I took some video with my phone. I'm going to post a video later today, maybe tomorrow of the sealing process so people can see it. But super easy, nothing complex. It doesn't get away from you. It, it's um, super user-friendly. And the end result is just absolutely perfect finish. It looks so good. Yeah, I, that's one of the funny stories when people call me and we have these conversations about application methods. I'll be the first to admit, if anybody talks to me, you know, in the, I don't know, 20 years of ICT technology, I've always done it by hand, always. You can almost hand me any applicator in any temperature, and I can masterfully put it down by hand. I've never done rollers. There's actually a short video, a couple short videos, actually, on ICT, which goes back, I think, a year ago. But I'll never forget, I had a a client vanity in the shop, no samples anywhere. That was the only piece I had. And the day before Joe Bates called me and said, Hey, I got this table. I've been, I've been rolling it. John, you, you just, you got to learn to roll this stuff. I'm like, no, 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 no. He's like, I'm telling you, it's so easy. I just love it. You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My point to all this is that day, you know how we talk sometimes that, you know, with all these years of experience, all these things we've done, you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of hours, you know, to finally being good. And then sometimes you feel like a rookie again. I'll never forget that day when I went into the shop and Joe would tell you the same thing. I'll bet I called him every five minutes. I had butterflies in my stomach. Um, at that time I had those foam, you know, the little weenie foam rollers. That's the only thing I had. And I was so worried about ruining, you know, this, cl this client piece. Cause that's all I had. And instead, oh yeah. I mean, now, especially the prime, the diluted, I love rolling. It's so easy. It's so, but per our many conversations, I like the microfiber. I don't, I don't care for the foam rollers. I think they got their name because they foam. I don't like them at all. But the microfiber is brilliant. Why do you keep saying, I'll never forget? You know who started that was Dusty. On Dusty Baker's podcast, 
he kept saying, I'll never forget. And ever since then, you've been doing it. Well, maybe I won't. So, yeah. okay. So I'll totally forget. <laughs> it's guaranteed. You got Alzheimer's now, bro, because you keep saying, I'll never forget. You're, you're just setting it up. The universe is just going to kick you in the teeth and now you're going to get Alzheimer's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then someone's going to ask me like, when did you start doing that? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> but yeah, rolling. I, I mean, the rolling with, with the, the newer tech, the new chemistry, it's, um, it's pretty brilliant. It really is. Well, I'll tell you this. I used to get streaking to an extent with hand applying. Like I'd get those like semi-circle, you could see them in raking light streaks, but they go away. You know, like my countertops mm -hmm. at my house, the sinks in my house, I hand applied it. Initially, when I put them in there, you could see like some circular streaks. I never sweat it because after you clean the countertops and you live with it for a few weeks, they're gone. Um, I could have buffed them with a hog's hair pad and gotten rid of them, but I'm just like, eh, they'll go away. And they did. They're totally gone. Right. But that being said, rolling it first, I think the roller, the microfiber roller just leaves a very slight texture that diffuses the light. Like when we used to, to kind of fog the sealer with HVLP for the sole purpose yeah. of just matting it out. It wasn't a sealing mm -hmm. step. The roller, even though it is a sealing step, is doing the same thing. It's just putting that super, I mean, it's imperceptible to feel it, but it's putting that super fine stippling to the sealer. And then that, when I hand applied the, the final two coats of CT and the one coat of 100% Prime, it, it completely disperses any streaking that you'd be able to see. Or maybe it's the new formulas of CT and Prime. I don't know. But I assume it has to do with that, those first rolling steps of the diluted Prime is what really helped it kind of mitigate any streaking with the hand application after that. Oh, I think so, too. I, I think at the end of the day, comparatively speaking, it's so much, you know, it, it ends up far more even, even from, I mean, I hate to call it a rolling technique. It's really back rolling, right? I mean, you spread it out, you back roll it, you know, create an evenness and the ability to create an evenness that I don't think anybody, even me, you're not, you're not going to do it with a, you know, four inch by six inch microfiber cloth like you're going to do with a roller. Yeah. And the roller, the only purpose of it is just to pick up the excess sealer. That's the only thing you're doing. You're not spreading right. sealer. You're not rolling sealer on. No. You're just using it to pick up right. the excess. And uh, so anybody mm -hmm. that hasn't seen this method, watch, go to YouTube, find a Kodiak Pro channel, just put in Kodiak Pro. I'll, I'll link it to the podcast too. So if you're looking at this on the Kodiak Pro website, I'll have a link in this description to go to the YouTube channel so you can watch it. But um, you'll see John using a microfiber roller to pick up the sealer and then he takes a microfiber cloth or any cloth really and just kind of squeezes the roller to get all the sealer off or to like get the excess off and then uses it to roll yeah. some more because he's just picking up excess sealer. Yeah, you're just picking up. Yeah. Agreed. So yeah. I think you have to look at it from that viewpoint, not that you want, because if people go into like, oh, I'm rolling on sealer. No, you're not. You're going to mess it up if you do mm -hmm. that. You know, you're not like trying to spread it around and paint it on. You're just trying to pick up nope. the excess. Like we always say, Thin the wind, set it, forget it. Once it's up, don't keep rolling it because you're, you know, it'll start gumming up on you. Back roll, pick it up, be done, let it dry. It'll look incredible. Incredible. Did you wipe them or let's say hand rub them down with the thousand grit? Because no. I love that. No, I totally forgot oh, that really? step. Oh, really? I totally forgot that step. Yeah. <laughs> and you can do it at the very end. You don't have to do Dude, it. Dude, I don't want to do anything, it. But it looks so good right now. I don't want to yeah, do really? anything to it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm blown oh. away. I'm telling you. I, and it's on black too, because black shows, well, it's on anthracite. Anthracite shows all the streaking imperfections more than anything else. And these look 
so good that I don't even want to touch them. I don't even want the clients to touch them. I'm going to send it to them and say, do not touch these. Just look at them. Put like a red velvet rope around them, you know? There you go. Yeah. If they mess them up or touch them in too many ways, you're going to send them an alabaster version. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> now you got me hooked on that word. Alabaster. <clears throat> well, that's your color. Alabaster. John's signature colors, alabastered. So let me tell you what I did today. Okay. After several phone calls and et cetera, et cetera. No, I, and today was an amazing day. This is, this is absolutely happened. Okay. Went to the post office today. Yeah. You know, this time of year, lots of packages are coming in. Guess what I got in the mail today? A dildo? Eh, better. Butt plug. <laughs> better. Mm, better than the butt plug. Kodiak Pro. Oh. Man. Those t-shirts are sweet. (laughs) Awesome, man. Yeah, Yeah. I finally got mine. I'm seeing posted pictures of all these, you know, cool people. Hey, look what I got, man. I'm pretty cool. And I'm thinking, huh, well, that's nice. Yeah. Wonder, do I get any? Well. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, So, yeah, super exciting. It is exciting. And guys are posting photos and I'm, I'm really appreciative of, uh, of that. I just want to put it out there because we've had a lot of customers come on to Kodiak Pro as of late. I don't want you to feel like we left you out because we didn't. All these things were ordered months ago. They're all special order because of Christmas and COVID. Everything took forever. And so uh, we just, we set a benchmark of like, hey, customers have exceeded this much in sales. We're going to, we're going to, you know, splurge and buy these things. And we did that. So, um, if you're a new customer, Hey, next Christmas, we got something for you. So, you know, don't feel like we left you out. I hate, I hate feeling like people leave me out. I hate that feeling. I'm like, Oh, why, you know, why did they get that rad shirt? And I didn't, it just all had to do with COVID timing and these things were placed months ago. So that being said, next Christmas, buddy, we got something for you. Well, and also, I don't know how many are left, but the, I mean, they're able to purchase. So there are some to purchase on the Kodiak. Yeah, so, I mean, there, yeah. there, there are some. I don't know? know if you saw our company account, but I ordered more because we were out of large and medium. So oh. I placed another order. So we have extra large and double XL and maybe a triple XL. I don't think we did triple XL. I think we just double XL. We have those and we'll have medium and large in stock soon, as soon as the printer gets done printing them. So anyways, yeah, you can purchase them online at KodiakPro.com. The Concrete Gangster Stickers, we have those. Let me hit that real quick since John brought this up. The only way to get, well, let's say there's the two ways to get one. There's two ways. The first way is go to Kodiak Pro on Facebook, like us on Facebook, then join the discussion group. And then you got to send me a message on, on the Kodiak Pro page. Hey, Brandon, my address is this, so I can send you a sticker because I don't know what your address is. So do that. That's one way. The second way is leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Uh, a lot of guys have done that. We really appreciate it. But leave us a review and then send me yeah, a message. Nice. Yeah, send me a message. Hey, Brandon, left your review. Here's my address. I'll send you a, a Concrete Gangster sticker. So I just have to get your address. That's the thing. So if you do either one of those things, please send me your address. I want to send you a sticker. I want you to get a Concrete Gangster sticker to put on your mixer or your truck or your notebook or whatever it is. But you have to send me your address. Yeah, actually, I got a phone call today from Troy Atkins. He got some swag as well, but he was, he kind of told me the story about he put the sticker up in the shop and how the guys that work with him are like, man, that's awesome. Where did you get that? And 
So they were pretty pumped about it. Yeah. He only it's to, nice to hear. He only, he only had to spend $8,000 with Kodiak Pro. That's it. That's how you get the sticker. You spend eight G's Damn. and you get a damn sticker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but an awesome sticker. Dude, it's well worth 8,000 bucks. Not just any old sticker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> awesome, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, that, that actually, I, uh, that was um, a bit of a surprise. So that was cool. You know. Even though I'm part of this thing, sometimes you, you know, you feel like anything else, you feel like you're putting things out for everybody else, but you forget about yourself. True. So it was kind of neat to, you know, feel good about like, oh, hey, awesome. So I told you about some of my ideas I have for some possible molds that I want to release through Kodiak Pro that are game changers that are, you know, it's kind of like an epiphany I had. I've been thinking about it for years and years and years because I, I used to sell molds. I used to have a mold line and the manufacturer passed away that used to make them for me and I never found anybody again. Now I'm considering doing it in-house. So manufacturing the molds in-house. But I've been thinking about the mold designs and kind of just the whole system because it'd be a system. It wouldn't just be a mold. It'd be a mold system that would be pretty incredible. But anyways, I'm super excited about it. So we'll see what happens. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it comes to fruition, maybe it doesn't. I mean, the equipment is super expensive. But if I do it, I'm really excited about where it could go for the industry because so many things that we do are technically very complex, and this would simplify so many things for so many guys. It would make their business more profitable. It would make their designs super exciting, things that maybe they didn't want to tackle before because logistically it's very complex. They could do it, and uh, it increased their margins too. Because time is money. I mean, that's, that's our biggest cost is time. So if you could plug and play some rad sink or whatever, whatever it is, you could plug and play it and have a couple hours in the building a mold versus two weeks in the building a mold. Well, there you go. You just turned a much bigger profit. Even well, if you I'll bring less. up something else. You know what else would be exciting? What's that? How about just some very fresh designs? You know, I mean, you have to admit, and, and this Sorry, anybody listening to this, because I'm even going to put it on my own shoulders. You know, if, if, if the best we can do is a ramp sink, you know, I mean, it really would be nice to see some new designs again and, and embrace some updates in what has not been available in a very long time. So that in of itself would be very cool to see again. Well, it's funny you say that. Because, I mean, new designs, you know me, I love design. So I have a ton of designs I've been wanting to do. But in regards to the ramp sink, Aaron Mankin, who is here in Northwest Arkansas, he does, uh, he, he flips houses. He photo- he's a photographer. He does photography for me sometimes. He's come to classes. He does uh, concrete for his uh, real estate flips that he does. Anyways, Mankin came down here and he was wanting to make a ramp sink. And I'm like, hey, dude, I have this idea. I've been wanting to to do it, let me run it by it. So I did this sketch of like how it all work. It's a fresh take on a ramp sink that introduces some very slick details that nobody's done. I've never seen anybody do it. Super slick details. It adds functionality. It's incredibly clean. It looks super, I wouldn't say complex because you don't, you don't want things to look complex, but it looks very difficult to achieve. If, if you're just a client looking at it, you'd be like, damn, how'd these guys do that, right? Like, how did they, how'd they do this? Uh, it's got some magic to yeah. it. But the reality of it is it, it's not complex at all. It's just it's a different way of approaching making a ramp sink. But anyways, my point with that is 
I think a ramp sync. I mean, ramp syncs as they've been done for the last 20 years, yeah, they're cool. They they sell a lot, um, but they're pretty old hat. And you see ramp syncs now made out of right. It gets redundant. Not not even corn. I mean, I'm seeing out of like plastic at truck stops. If you stop at a Love's truck stop recently, like when I travel and I'm on the interstate and I stop at a Love's and you go in the bathroom, it's a plastic ramp sink, not corn, just straight plastic, right? So. When you see plastic ramp sinks at truck stops, you kind of know this is kind of reaching the end of its life cycle as far as like wow factor, right? So I think there is an opportunity for even something like a ramp sink reimagined, reconfigured, approached from a different way of fabricating that I think could really be exciting. If this moves forward with making molds in-house, then there would be components that go with the molds, train systems, there'd be entire kits. So somebody could buy the kit and really have very, very, very little time, super minimal time to make a super high-end sink. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think it's time. I mean, honestly, from, an, you know, from all of us, it would be nice to see some new designs again, you know, or the availability of some new designs. Yeah. Well, what do you want to do today, man? I mean, we could keep chatting away. Um, we got more questions to be answered. Let's if we answer want to try the answering a yeah. few of these questions. Let's do that. I want to do that. <clears throat> well, here's one. Okay. It's really evolving around cure. Okay. Uh, this is Austin Pettibone. I think it was the last workshop, right? Didn't mm-hmm. he come out to the last workshop? And it kind of blew his mind. It, it, now this, let me put context to Austin. I believe he's third generation concrete finisher or owning a concrete business where he's at. And I love it when, when people like that come on out to our workshops and embrace a, a whole set of information that they've never been exposed to when they've de- been dealing with, you know, everything from driveways and footings and foundations. And, you know, it, it, even though they have incredible careers, in fact, I think he was talking about his grandfather who still is part of the business with his father. And they were putting down something like, I don't know, 500 yards, you know, on a, uh, on a runway strip, like the day he was talking to us, you know? So, I mean, that's a huge company. Well, in they're, my putting, they're putting down like 500 yards on a runway strip that they tore out because the army out. base yeah. or U S air force base or wherever this strip was, didn't like the color because it was a slightly different shade than the other part of the runway. Right. So it's just the color. Crazy? So they're like, yeah, yeah now yeah. we need to rip all that out and redo it so the color matches a little bit better. Really? Because the pilots care, you know? This is a military yeah, airport. Right. And a plane. Who cares? And the plane cares. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. So taxpayers' so, money uh, at work there. So no, his his question evolved around curing. You know, why do we why do we emphasize curing, not just curing the concrete, but the specific methods of curing the concrete, which goes as far as trapping the moisture, creating the ambient steam, um, insulating, and even to the the extent of trapping heat as part of the cure process. Um, he just went out, he found that very interesting, and he thought other people would, if we could elaborate or continue to elaborate on that moving forward. So, I mean, obviously that's a pretty huge question and it's hard to address. But the first thing I'm going to say, anybody listening, we did do a short YouTube video. Go to YouTube, Kodiak Pro, and it walks through the steps that we recommend for curing concrete. 
specifically the concrete countertops, specifically the Kodiak Pro materials. And our reason for suggesting this specific method has everything to do, we use this magical word cure, which has everything to do with available cement hydration and optimizing the short turnaround windows that we are trying to do in our shops, if that makes any sense. So the first thing I'd say is go to YouTube and check out the videos. Curing makes all the difference in the world for color. Uh, I did these blue sinks. If you're anybody following my social media, I posted some photos of these blue sinks, but by letting them cure for two days per the method we recommend, the color is just so rich. Mm -hmm. They're incredibly strong. Blue normally weakens concrete. It normally foams it. You know, I've never had great results with blue pigments. Blue, red, even black pigments can be problematic, mainly for weakening, not so much for foaming, but I get, I get weakening. But blue and red specifically, I've never, I've never liked those pigments. But that being said, I cast these, these blue sinks, and they came out beautiful, like damn near perfect, but the color is so good. I let them cure for two days, and uh, I think that made a, a big difference in how nice the color is. Well, absolutely, and I, I, we keep using this word cure. The whole idea to create the density out of the mix that the mix is set up to achieve needs to trap the moisture for and the heat for a period of time to allow the crystalline form, you know, to, let's say, to work its best in the given window we're trying to work in, which is typically, I'm going to say, at the minimum, 24 to 48 to as much as, you know, 36, 72 hours. I mean, that's really the idea. And I, the reason I keep bringing up the word cure, because that can mean a whole lot to a whole lot of different people. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about curing and the methods of that curing. The, le, you know, the, the insulating, covering it with a cure blanket, plastic, insulation, and even to the point of using inexpensive heat blankets Understand the heat blankets are not used to warm up the concrete. What it's doing is keeping the insulation around the concrete warm so that the concrete does not have a chance to cool down. That's the idea. I concur. I knew you would. Yeah. I knew you would. I was going to pull up the ICT uh, while we're see. talking. What? I was going to pull up the ICT page and see what else. Was it ICT or Kodiak Pro? I think it was Kodiak Pro. That it? was on the ICT. I'm actually on the Kodiak now. Oh. So. Because uh, people will go back and forth, which is totally okay with me, you know, answering both on the Kodiak discussion group and the ICT group. They all go hand in hand. I think most people know that you and I are doing this together. So, you know, wherever people are comfortable. Yeah. Which speaking of blues, you, so let's put this on the table for people who didn't know that because I just saw a post on another thread and I got a personal message from a guy asking about a blue that, I'm going to say ghosted out or, or whited out in the curing process. So, Brandon, right? You used a cobalt, a cobalt blue. Correct. Yep. That is, yeah. So, cobalt is um, a very, very stable, comparatively speaking, a very stable blue pigment. There were a couple other blues going all the way to blue concrete. I mean, this is how I knew it. There was an aquamarine. And another aqua something, which are two different versions of some of synthetic blues. And when in concrete, I'm just going to say they're not heat stable. 
they're not heat stable. And that's something he posted. He used an, some stock that he had of one of those synthetic pigments. And when he demolded, I mean, you could see there's these, I don't know, I'm going to call non-blue marks and blue marks. Oftentimes, it almost looks like a bullseye effect where in the middle of the bullseye, it's very whited out and not blue at all. And then as you approach the perimeters, it gets a little more blue, 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 and then to a darker blue. But just be aware, cobalt is the pigment you want to use. Don't use the other synthetic aqua versions because they're not heat stable and you are going to run into problems. Well, I'm glad you said that now. I didn't know that. Yeah. Thanks for telling me. Oh, you didn't really? No, no, no. I just got lucky and ordered cobalt, but I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Cobalt. It is definitely the more it's, well, I shouldn't say definitely, but last I looked, you're talking about a pigment that can run, you know, whatever, uh, 35 to $40 a pound. Yeah, it was like 40 bucks kind a of pound range. So it's shipping. not an expensive pigment. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, for what we're doing, that is the one to get because that is the stable. It's an extremely stable compared to the other ones are not stable. Gotcha. And even if they were cheaper, they're going to have a problem. Gotcha. Cool. So I'm here looking yeah. at the Kodiak Pro questions. Kyle Woods says, we all like to play with fire. I see people wielding propane torches while applying ICT. I haven't seen a thorough explanation of this technique. And will John talk about it? So yeah, Dusty Baker loves to use a torch. Uh, he uses it on every piece that he does. If you take a class here at Concrete Design School, when you see Dusty applying the sealer, he always uses a torch. And he's using a torch to essentially warm the concrete and to essentially set the sealer faster so he can apply layer to layer to layer to layer pretty quickly. That's just his method that he likes. The problem, and John can talk about the chemistry of what the torch is doing and the, the heating and whatnot, but what I'd say is the, the main danger with using a torch, and this happened to Dusty, in a class, is if you get carried away with a torch, you stay in one spot too long, you can actually thermally shock the concrete and create a crack. And so, because right. it heats, I mean, it's a roofing torch. It's, I don't know, how many, 30,000 BTUs, 40,000 BTUs, something some ridiculous. So it doesn't take long. You have, to, you have to move fast. You have to know what you're doing. And uh, you have to kind of ease up on it. You don't want to just go, you know, in one spot. And especially like in a sink where the flames can't really disperse and they just kind of stay concentrated in a corner. And that's what happened to Dusty. The heat will build up super quick and it can crack it. So, you know, roofing torches, awesome. But you have to know what you're yeah. doing. You have to be uh, diligent and work quickly and just constantly monitor how hot the concrete is getting. So I'll let you take over, John. Everything you just said, absolutely. But right from the beginning, I just have to say, you know, I guess it really depends if you're a gan concrete gangster or not. That's when you use the torch. Because I honestly have not seen one video out there. I think we'll agree. When people pull that out, or even when it's in slow-mo, showing the flame, you know, across the surface, it just looks cool. So let's just talk about it, you know, from start to finish. Number one, I'm going to put on the table, heat does not bother ICT. I had another question, or, you know, on the uh, ICT thread where it was asked about, you know, has ICT ever been, uh, I forget how he worded it, but, it, you know, have I ever had it tested for heat stability? And the answer is no, because heat does not bother this technology. I mean, literally at the end of the day, if you were using enough heat to pop the concrete, the sealer will be completely intact. Heat does not bother it. It doesn't melt. You can put hot objects on 
countertops sealed with ICT, you will not bother it at all. On the flip side, the most often the heat is being used as a secondary technique of just keeping the concrete warm. That's all. From a sealer chemistry point of view, for those people who are interested, so all sealers, regardless of whether it's a, a urethane, an acrylic, a micropolymer, whatever's being used, there are things called co-solvents that are put in the system. And what those do is, to a degree, slows the rate that moisture leaves the film-forming characteristic. And the idea is the slower that leaves the system, the tighter and stronger, higher scratch resistance and et cetera, that the film formation will become. And that's why in some cases, the ones that flash off very quickly, uh, solvent-based is the ones that come to mind, they'll start off very strong, but they also lose their strength a lot faster over time than water bases that, that leave the system much, much slower. Uh, but they won't have as early quick resistance or quick turnaround. So the idea of a torch in that situation is to flash some amounts of that co-solvent off, which allows the film formation to be created a little bit quicker. Now in ICT, there's quite a balance in co-solvents. Some are extremely slow and you'll never flash them off. And then some are allowed to flash off a little quicker, ultimately allowing for a little faster turnaround. And that being said, it's kind of a le legacy technique because guys are used to it. I use it sometimes in the winter under cold conditions, but Prime, on the flip side now with Prime, Prime has really evened that effect out. So the Prime goes in there and creates a foundation for the reactions to happen so that heat isn't as necessary anymore. It's still cool and it still helps but it's not as necessary as it was in the past. I mean, my method to madness, and I think a lot of people are doing it now, is, yeah, after I get done sealing, especially in the wintertime, so if you go down to my shop, even right now, it's probably 45 degrees, I like to seal things, wrap them back up, turn my heat blankets on, let the concrete in the sealer cure for a minimum of 48 hours. In my case, you can go less if you have to, and you can go longer if you want to. But I like doing that. Same thing, it creates kind of an ambient steam cure, the sealer and the concrete cure together. And what I'm finding is, man, once I pull that stuff off, my early, early resistances are through the roof. I think I said it on another podcast. I literally did that same technique to my kitchen addition, which I think at the moment now is probably six weeks ago or so when I did it. And I was happily shocked how quickly once I was done sealing and we immediately put it under use and testing, although my wife hates that because, you know, if something did go wrong, oops, um, and testing and water and leaving wet objects and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. No, I mean, I love it. I think it's great. It's, it's put a whole new level for me when I'm putting things in people's homes, specifically vanities, because we all know, especially after the plumber comes in, you know, Water is being dumped on that stuff. Soap dishes are being put on that stuff. You know, it's the, the moment I mean, the door closes. So it is what it is. So that's what I do. Yeah. And I love it. Awesome. All right. So let's move on to the next question. Alberto Crocco 
down in Australia, which I love Alberto. He's uh, he's come and helped me in my shop. He's helped teach classes. He helped me build my house, my rammed earth house. Uh, he's a really good guy. But Alberto asked, could you please explain how Makers Mix slash Rad Mix UHPC achieves its own abrasive resistance? And what I mean by this is, can you explain from a technical perspective how UHPC strength actually works regarding abrasion, what are the softer parts that actually are more susceptible to damage, etc. So let me give you my view on it, and then John can give you his view, is a UHPC, especially Maker Mix, and especially Maker Mix cured properly, is incredibly dense. So you're automatically um, increasing abrasion resistance and stain resistance, and all those kind of things, just by essentially closing up all the pores through crystalline structure. So that's, that's one thing. But with any precast concrete, so you're casting into a form, which is how most of us are, are doing what we do, there's this slight cream layer that's just a result of it going into form and moving around that forms against the mold, and that's the weak layer. It's, it's only weak because it's just this, essentially like a cement slurry. It's microscopic, but it just covers. So when you flip a piece, that as-cast finish, it's got a cream layer. And so what we want to do is we want to strip that off with acid, which you can go back a couple episodes and we talk about the way we like to acid etch. But if you take that cream layer off and you get down to the actual quote-unquote concrete, you expose the sand slightly, but you get that, that weak layer off, then you have a much more durable mix. And then if you're using a, an extremely high-strength mix like Maker Mix, well, you're far better off than using a much more porous mix or, or a softer mix that will be more susceptible to staining and scratching and everything else. Density is a big part of it. Um, there's absolutely no question about that. The other part, and I'm going to use the word that I often use, it's a balance. <clears throat> so, yes, very high density, very high compression. The other part of this is the combination of sands that are in Maker Mix creates a system. So they're extremely hard sands. So it all kind of goes hand in hand. Typically with concrete, it's the cement paste that's kind of the weakness, not the sand, unless you're using a lightweight aggregate of some sort. But a good hard or extra hard silicate sand or like a marble or a combination sand. of, yeah, you know, the, those, you know, the, it's hard to scratch. Very, yeah. very but I'm hard saying to the marble sand your, is more susceptible sands. to, to uh, damage than yeah, silica sands or carbide sand or things like that. Absolutely. So, yeah. so there's a combination of sands and micro sands that are in maker mix that are all catered around extremely hard substrate, comparatively speaking. So, as I was just saying, typically in cement-based material, it's the cement paste that's kind of the weakness in the system. Now, in this case, when you take that cement paste, and I'm just going to base it on compression because that's kind of a number we're all used to hearing about, PSI. So when you take a cement paste that may be, say, 5,000 or 7,000 PSI, and instead triple that number and triple that hardness, so now you're up into the 20,000s plus, that now starts getting the paste at a comparable hardness to the sands and aggregates around it. Now, take all of that, and, and I'm going to use the word compress it, but push all that into a high-density matrix so that there's no heavy pore structure. You see what I'm saying? It's like, you know, grab the top of it and smash it till it's super dense. 
now you end up with surfaces, the abrasion risk is, it's a balance between how tight all those aggregates are together, the hardness of the cement paste holding it all together, and then at that point, the weight, which is really your density, or how, you know, what the weight of that substrate is per the volume. And I, th I think we've talked about this in the past, probably to most people it doesn't, they don't really care, but if you take Maker Mix and compare it to other things out there, what you'll find is the, the 55 pound recipe occupies the space of just over about a third of a cubic foot. So I think, it, what is that? Uh, plus the six pounds, not including water, you're talking about somewhere around 62, 63 pounds, you know, squished into that uh, just over a third of cubic foot. You can take the, another material at the same weight and occupy, let's say, you know, just over 0.4 or close to a half a cubic foot. That material is going to be far less dense and much lower scratch resistance or yeah. abrasion resistance. So that's the idea. You know, you take all that weight and you compress it into a much smaller volume. You got an aggregate combination of very high resistance and then a paste that's holding it all together that's also extremely strong. So that's, there you go. That's how you achieve it. Makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, the second question from Alberto is... <clears throat> From an ICT perspective, we know it's a holistic system that works with the quality of the concrete. My question is, with the final applications of satin or clear that act as a micro layer in regard to abrasion resistance of these applications, do they achieve their strength from the qu concrete quality or does the chemistry itself have a certain grade slash hardness to it? That's a good question. And it's both, actually. What's taken out of this... He's asking about the final applications, but prime. So I'll start the first part. Is it the quality of the concrete? Yes. So in this case, since we're talking about maker mix slash rad mix, we're talking about a concrete that has been specifically designed with a high mineral content. And that ultimate free mineral content is what allows the sealers, and that's I'm going to call it generalized, the sealers to react and increase ability for reactions with these mixed designs. Okay. Then prime comes along. That's your first step. That's your foundation. When applying the prime, the prime soaks in, grabs some of those minerals, if you will, and wicks them to the surface and makes it part of the upper matrix. At that point, when you get to the sealing techniques or the final applications of sealer, the sealer has an increased direct contact with that foundation that prior to the prime didn't have the same ability. So it's, it's a combination of concrete quality and the chemistry of the sealers themselves. Either one of them works good, but together they work great. And so if you yeah, have no crappy question. concrete and you put ICT on it, well, it's going to work pretty good. If you have uh, great concrete, maker mix, but you put a crappy sealer on it, eh, it's going to work okay. But if you take maker mix and ICT and put them together, it's magic. I mean, it's the happiest I've ever been. And again, I always say this. I know it's easy for me to say, right? Uh, you know, you're just using it. 
It's the happiest I have ever been with materials that I am using. Same. hundred percent. There's no question. No question about that. Yeah. yeah. I've, I copy on emails. I get emails from guys uh, through the Kodiak Pro website asking about Maker Mix and how is it different and all this kind of stuff. And I respond back to them. You know, I tell them my honest results are it is night and day different than anything I ever used in the best possible way that everything about this mix is so much better. And I hate that I'm the seller of the mix because I think a lot of guys discount that statement as, as what you're saying, like, oh, he's just saying that. But believe me, mm-hmm. as a concrete craftsman, that's still the majority of my income. That's how I make a living. That's how I provide for my family. That's how my daughters go to school is through what I make. And this product makes my products better. It makes casting easier. It makes finishing easier. It makes everything so much better. And, um, you know, I, I sell it great as a user of the product. It's, it's game changing. It's a complete game changer. And everybody that's tried it, at least that I'm aware of that we've spoken to has the same feedback. And so that's why I tell guys is ask around, like, don't take my word for it. You know, ask around other guys. They're, they're pretty easy to find that are using Kodiak Pro. Talk to any of them. What was your experience with it? Yeah. And everyone will tell you, dude, it is completely different. It's insane. Well, there you go. Let me hit a couple of things that uh, we should talk about real quick. So we sure. talked about the Facebook group and the Facebook page. Please like it. Please join the discussion group. That's huge. Uh, the open studio, Monday, February 28th. We've had some people register for it. I've had a lot of people yeah, ask about it. Yeah, some signups. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we had a guy uh, email us tonight. I haven't actually responded to him yet about Sealer. And I'm going to send him a link to it and just say, hey, uh, you know, if, if you're wanting to get hands-on experience, it's the best way to learn how to apply the Sealer. The videos are great, but until you actually do it in person, maybe it won't click for you. But come to that event. It's a uh, it's hundred bucks. It's a one day event. It's just pretty much hands on. You'll see the mix. You'll see casting, curing, sealing. Monday, February twenty eighth. Open studio. Go to kodiakpro.com. That's where you register. Go to shop, and then you'll you'll see the open house or open studio. And then the last thing is the spring twenty two pinnacle concrete camp is going to be February twenty first through the twenty sixth in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. It's our six-day class, Dusty Baker, Brandon Gore, John Schuler. Insane class, best class, uh, undeniable. If you want to do concrete, you want to do concrete professionally, you want to learn from hundreds of thousands of hours of experience, come to the Pinnacle Concrete Camp. We'll be covering fabric forming, concrete sinks, dusty crete, uh, upright casting, business practices, pricing. I mean, it's really just a inordinate amount of information that's just funneled to you over a six-day period. So everybody that's ever come, ask them, what do you think about the class? And they'll all be like, dude, it was just a ton of information. It was a great investment. Uh, so make an investment yourself, 2022, come to the Pinnacle Concrete Camp. And to sign up for that, go to concretedesignschool.com and click on workshops and you'll see it there. Anything you have, John? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add to that, the, another, you know, we talk a lot about the workshops and something hit me. I don't know. You know, we always talk about, you know, tens of thousands of hours, hundreds of thousands of people who do the instruction. Yeah. You know, the, the 30 minutes, any of us have been doing this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was literally just talking to Sam Wilkins today up in Canada. And what dawned on me 
is all the struggles. I mean, one reason for this podcast, although, you know, lately you and I talk and answering questions, but the struggles that we watch people go through, you know, the, the, that we talk about that the pricing per square foot materials, stock, how you started, where you started, how much square footage you have, you know, how did you get there? What are you doing? You know, um, from marketing, chemistry, concrete, et cetera, you know, that all gets crammed into six days Mm -hmm. with three people that have a, you know, different, different perspectives that we've come from, how we got here, what we're using, why we're using them, et cetera, et cetera. Know what's in the materials. You know, I mean, it, it, this, the culmination of all that is what makes this training so much different. And in my opinion, valuable compared to other offerings that are out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a reason for everything. There's a reason for why we form this way. There's a reason for why we mix this way. There's a reason for why we seal this way. There's a reason for why we yeah. design this way. And there's a reason, and the reason is based on, I just did the math. I've been doing this for about 60,000 hours. I say hundreds of thousands. I'm not phenomenal at math, apparently. But 60,000 hours, how long have I been doing it? You've been doing about the same, and so is Dusty, because we've all been in it for about the same amount of time. So 180,000 mm-hmm. hours altogether cumulative experience. It's a lot of experience, but there's a reason why. And when you come to our class, that's what we teach. And if you go to somebody else's class, they're just taking the husk of that information. They're just taking an outer shell. They don't have all the background of what got to that point and why you do it that way. And that's really where the value is. And that's really where the knowledge is. And so if you want to take a class, I mean, there's guys out there that you know, I've been doing it for two or three years and they're going to teach a class based on really the things that we have developed and taught, but they're just taking the outer shell of it. And, um, and so, you know, you might learn something, but you're not going to learn near the amount that you're going to learn in this and you're going to spend the same amount of money. And at the end of the day, you're going to end up coming to this class anyways and saying, eh, I wish I would came here first. ConcreteDesignSchool.com. We hope to see you in the, the February Pinnacle Concrete Camp. Well, and I'd say I, I continue to enjoy growing the relationships. After each one of the workshops, it, it's pretty cool to see almost on a, well, definitely on a daily basis, but I'm not talking to the same people every day, who give me a call and that's where we met was at the workshop. And, you know, sometimes we're just talking shop. We're not even talking concrete. Just call mm-hmm. up to say, hey, man, what's going on? You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It really is pretty cool. Super cool. All right, buddy. All right, man. All right, we'll talk next week. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you later. All right, man. Bye.